trees and greenhorns. Peel yourself out of your old restrictive exoskeleton, dissolve yourself into a metamorphic goo and become a new... And be honest, does this corporeal existence make me look out of shape? Because it's time to talk tall to me. Welcome back. I am Omen Thomas Sade. And I am Nick McGill. We are the temporary phenomenon known as the Feckless Moans. And this, my lightning bugs, is Talk Tell to Me. A reverse circumcision at the reusing office of Progrock, in which newborn Nick and Origin Point Omen will sip from the eternal wellspring of inspiration. Whence flows each and every track that renascent rock band Jethro Tull has ever birthed from their mysterious brain canal. We will dance the never-ending boogalow of becoming with Una Birna. We will holler and hand-jive with the ever-happening Scott Hammond. We will lose ourselves in John O'Hara's jitterbug of Genesis. We will delight to the David Goodyear debut duckwalk. And we will pronounce the prelusivity of the guitar with Joe Parrish Poppenlock. And if we can successfully return in the larval form to the primordial pop rock soup, we may begin again with the elemental equestrian, the fundamental flautist, the ever-ready rocker, the daddy of the dawn, the square root of Scotsman, the coalescing claghorner, the preliminary poet, Ian, he puts the man back in manifold, Anderson. Wow. You have outdone yourself. I may have strained something. Well, it's the last track of the album, so I wanted to, you know, go for it. Absolutely. Go out with a bang. Go out with a bang. Nick, speaking of the last track on the album, which number track on the album are we talking about? Would a reverse circumcision, would that be an uncision? They'd sew it back on. Be a recision? Cision is... is I know, it's the cutting, yeah. Yeah. So un, uncision, so to uncut. Yeah, yeah. A fusing. <laughs> uh, we are on track number 12. Track 12, the final track. 12 of 12. 12 of 12. For the 12 apostles, I believe this is, that's why this one is. Uh, uh-huh. uh-huh. It's Ithaval. 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 Nick, before we listen to this track. Yes? Let's talk a little bit about the wonderful speaker, speech actor, speech vocalist, word talker, <laughs> who appears both on this track on the, and the first track of the album. That is the effervescent Una Birna. That's right. Una Birna. Let me see if I can pronounce her. Okay, that's not so bad. Una Birna Wilhelm's daughter. So the daughter of Wilhelm. Yes. Born the 25th of May, 1984. She's an Icelandic actress. Oh, lawyer, oh. model, and beauty queen who won Miss Iceland 2005 and Miss World 2005. You know, Iceland has a very small population, so everyone has to double up on careers. She's going above and beyond. She's really pulling her weight there. She seems awesome. And she has been in, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. 10 different 
movies since 1995. Wow. Some of note are 2011's Serenity. Oh, who was she in Serenity? Rena Joint? Not sure. For fans of the Cloverfield universe, she was in 10 Cloverfield Lane. That's exciting. And then she was an uncredited voice in the animated film The Bad Guys that Rook and I saw in the theaters. Wow. And only look up images of her if you are prepared to be smacked in the face with an extremely beautiful woman. Beautiful enough to win Iceland and World in 2005. And she also hosted Miss Reykjavik in 2010. That must have been a party. <laughs> Nick, anything else to say about Unir Birna? No, I don't think so. I think I'm going to go watch those movies and just try to find her. But yeah, no, let's jump into Ithaval. Let's listen to Ithaval. Wow. Nick. What an ender. What a way to send us away from this album. That track, especially the way that it ends, legitimately gives me goosebumps. It's dark. It's eerie. There's a little promise in there. But there is also a definite finality. Little promise. Oh, little promise. Yeah, just, just a little. Yeah. Yeah. Doctors have actually been using this track to see if their patients are really dead. Mm. They play it in the morgue. They do. They do. They have this on a loop in the morgue. Yeah. And then the the dead people get up and dance. Is that what the idea is? If they get goosebumps. Oh, 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 oh. Then they might still be alive. You sure it's not just like a, a postmortem, the magic of music reaction because that song is so rocking and dark? They've stopped playing this album in morgues because it mm. kept reanimating the corpses. That's it. That's it. That makes sense. Yeah. And they became politicians. Which caused all kinds of problems. Yes, that makes sense. Yeah, that's unfortunate. Nick, let's talk musically about this track. What a complex knot. There's a lot going on in this one for... It's actually almost four minutes. I didn't even realize. It's yes. almost four minutes long. There's a lot happening here. One of the longer tracks on the album. Yeah. We have Ian's gorgeous flute intro, which mm -hmm. is backed up by some some sneaky chords, maybe provided by a synth of some kind. I believe it is. Yeah, it's very synthy. It almost smacks of like a video game soundtrack there. Yes. Like you're Silence. in the Lost Woods or you're in the, the dungeon kind of exploring before shit goes down. Yeah, it's got those lovely blank spaces, those rests. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It gives space for a listener response. What's that, Ian? What are you saying, boy? Tell me. Tell me more. Scott Hammond fell in the well again. <laughs> I will have to leave him. He'll never learn his lesson. Before we get into the like the really heavy part, that's it doesn't take too long to get into. But before we get into that, when it's just Ian and the synth and like maybe the little light, the guitar picks, we can hear Ian's breath as he's inhaling to play the flute. Yes. 
We can hear the clicking of the flute keys and we can Lovely. hear his breath through the flute as well. There's oh, such yeah. a raw personalness to this section. Yes, there's also a little bit of reverb mm. or atmospherics on the track, I think, which feeds into that as well, yeah. which enhances that sense of the breathiness, which is yeah. so great. Now, obviously, the song ends with the performative breath that we had way back at the beginning of track one, which really ties it all together. But hinting at that in the beginning of this track is just fabulousness. Right. It's more human. It's more like standard living as opposed to struggling to live or or the kind of the culmination of something there's also thematically this song and the previous song deals with ragnarok and the rebirth of the world and what is human breath but <sighs> destruction creation yeah it's the yin and the yang it's the positive and the negative it's the binary of life it's the full cycle it's the full cycle. Mm -hmm. It's the twists and the turns. It's the haves and the urines. Is that a song? Not yet. <laughs> we have Joe Parrish coming in very crisply, very cleanly. Mm -hmm. Oh, so fresh and so clean. Squeakily clean. Yeah. Scout. 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 Such restraint from a young man playing the guitar. Really love to see it. And then we get into the the thing unspools, basically, and we really mm. get into that heavy bit. And the organ comes in with like a really kind of a fantasy sound. It's really nice. I think it's around two minutes we have that. We haven't even gotten to Uner yet. That's all intro that we covered. Then Uner comes in. But yes, at two minutes, those zippy zaps. The yeah. Going back to the video game theme, it sounds very synthy. It sounds very mm. much like it reminds me of in The Princess Bride, which is very synth heavy, mm. whenever they do the heraldric trumpets. Mm -hmm. You just see a bunch of guys put up trumpets to their faces, then you hear <laughs> synth. It kind of reminds me of that in a charming, delightful way. Like, I love that they're not trying to hide the synth as anything. It's like, yeah, it's a synth. Deal with it. Right. I think we've talked about this at yeah. least one other time on this album. It's like, it's not pretending to be anything else, but also in that delivery of that synth, it's not like, oh, this is cheesy 80s synth. Like, this is badass, like 2023 synth. It's the full life cycle of the synth. That's it started it. out as, let's embrace this digital sound. Let's have some fear about this digital sound. Mm -hmm. Let's now hide this digital sound. Let's make it so in indetectable. And now we're back to, let's hear it. We want to hear the synth. Yeah. We want to hear the synthiness. I do love that touch in these songs that have that old 
even thematically, just like that old yeah. world feel, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah. It's bringing it to the modern day because the moral of the story is there's this life cycle and it, it will keep coming back, but it'll keep coming back in different iterations. I love that. So going back prior to that two minutes, that intro rounds into Unir and they kind of fall back. They're all still really solid behind her, but they don't take anything away. She really takes, she steps into that spotlight. I love how they support her voice in this track. It is so well-balanced. It is so... So good. I mean, gosh, how intimidating to be like, yeah, we want you to come and speak this ancient text over a rock band who's been playing for 50 years. Yeah. Goo. But she brings all of her multi-faceted talents to bear. She takes that presence and she serves it. She's serving us ancient Norse. They didn't add the reverb like that's she spoke with the reverb. That's not digital at all. You know, all Icelandic people have three sets of mm. larynx. It's a it's that's a weird it thing. Yeah. Did you just say larynx? Larynx. 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 Nuclear larynx. <laughs> <laughs> that's my superhero name. Yeah, yeah, I got I get it. Yeah. She's got this epic reverb behind her. Everybody else is chugging away. There's this mystical feel. They really encompass it really, really well. And the theatricality behind it, it feels like it's coming straight from a CRS from the Volva, like without a doubt. It's great. It's I, I agree. We get a lot of tasty treats in this song. Mm-hmm. Around 225, we have some incredible guitar soloing or, yeah. or stepping forwarding by Joe Parrish. Yeah, that's part of that kind of bridge breakdown. Yes. But that's also where kind of hearkening back to that very beginning when we had beat, 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 stop, Uh beat, 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 stop. Going into and out of this bridge, we have a complete dead stop. Yes, yes. Flute comes in for a little bit, then double electric comes in for a little bit, Mm -hmm. and then another stop, and then we get another wacky run of synth. We have some double flute at some point. I lost track of where because I was looking at something else. Yeah, it's in there somewhere. doesn't come in until three minutes yeah and he's gone by 3 30 like it's i i don't know know if it's specifically three oh yeah it definitely is 3 30 he's gone in like 20 seconds it's so fast well his voice he's he's obviously there playing the flute. well yeah right right his singing it's so fast and he's really straining on this one which is probably why he's like i can't i just can't do anymore like he really pushes it on this song That's something that I'm interested to talk about in terms of the time signatures, because I think that he sets himself up a very difficult task for anyone to sing sure. on his verses here. I think that either of us would be hard pressed to do what he does. Oh, absolutely. Because we'd be crying. <laughs> oh, yeah. I wouldn't go near it. I wouldn't touch it. 
The very last note that I have is the second to last line when he says, shall golden tables stand mid the grass? We get a double up on his voice, a doble voce, if you will. I will. And I thank you. Oh, please. And that's it. And then we get the asthmatic discordant flute at the end. End of song. Let's go out to hunt by numbers. Time's signature. Nick, any guesses on this song? No. Well, I started counting and then I saw you doing it and I stopped counting and you kept counting. So I quit. (laughs) My cycle turned over while you were still counting on the same cycle. So it's like, obviously, this is not 4-4. Goodbye. Well, let's do some segmenting. I'm going to break myself into several segments, each of which can live independently. Yes, and you you will grow back. Two, we have a six eight. You could also count that as one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, mm. two, three. Okay. But for some reason, it makes more sense to me to count it in six. Okay. It has that lilting, swung, slightly Celtic feel to it. Once we get into Uner's section. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Nice and solid. Okay. I think that that is a function of the way that that ancient text is written. We talked about the oh yeah octahedric dectropod or whatever it said. Yeah. <laughs> I think that Ian wrote that to match with the rhythm of how that naturally is spoken. Yeah, that feels right. Yeah. And I love it because rather than putting something really rhythmically or time signaturely complex behind it, They've given her just a nice solid base that she can fiscare just insulted everyone's mother in Iceland. That started Icelandic, went into Italian, and then ended on Klingon, actually, I think. (laughs) (laughs) That was my study abroad. (laughs) I studied abroad on Klingon for six months. Yeah. 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 Love blood wine. Is that the name of the planet? Klinger? Yes. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Like the planet that humans are from is called Human. Right. And we speak Human. We speak Human. Yeah. Okay. And we are Human. It's just easier. Yeah. Yeah. Now, when we get to Ian, and this is why I was saying that he's done himself a very difficult job here. Well, I thought that's that could be anything, but there would be an eight with one, just two, three, one at the end of the next measure, right? Five, six, one, two, three, four, five, six. Coda or whole note. Yeah, whatever. I yeah. mean, it's sort of a partial measure. Yeah. Or a measure with a bunch of rests at the end. But yeah, he switches into seven for himself. So all of this I find fascinating. I'm still just blown away. So impressed. There's no time to breathe. <laughs> <laughs> 
So that's why he sounds out of breath there, because he hasn't built himself in a place to breathe properly. Oh, yeah. And I think it's so interesting that he cuts that beat out for his section. Mm. It gives it that that desperate feeling almost. Now do I see the earth? It's just, ah, I don't know. The signaturing of this is very fascinating to me. It is an interesting choice because Unir is, she's plotting her eyes are glassy and she's she's saying what she's seeing in a different world, in a different realm. She is the seeress and she is imparting that. She's levitating six inches off the ground. Yeah, light coming out of her fingertips. Don't get too close. But it's, it's steady and slow. But Ian is, Ian's just translating that. You know, I mean, that's what that is. Is that like, the kind of the mythical version is Unir delivering it, imparting it to humanity. And Ian is the human who's like trying to absorb it all. And it's just melting his brain. Yes. May, I think that's a great interpretation or that. Uh, so here's, here's where I think we're going to get into the whole album, but I had initially thought, Ooh, it's a pretty dark album. It's all about this, you know, death and destruction of the gods. I realized the ending with this song with Ithaval is saying, even if Putin causes Ragnarok of our time, even if we have betrayed our brothers and into destruction, even if all this, all this, all this, somehow humanity, somehow life will reset, will find that green grass which the gods had owned in the days of old. What I interpret it as, or how I feel when I'm listening to Ian speak that text is that either you, the listener, or he, the singer, is running out of time to impart that message. Mm. Whether that's him feeling that personally, or whether that's him making a commentary on the earth itself or humanity itself. Right. It's like, I have to tell you this, I'm running out of time, and here's the message I want to impart, which the gods had owned. And then because he puts that one beat back in for the, in the days of old, gives a space to contemplate that meaning in that, in that open space, in that measureless space at the very end, literally without time signature. Yeah, it happens so quick. He does give us that moment to let it sink in as opposed to days of old, done. Yeah. Yeah. Which he could very well have done, but that really, that trail off leading to, I think that's really the piece that's the promise is that there's no hard and fast. You don't hit a wall. Like it just fades away and then can therefore fade back in. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Which is very much, you know, in the Norse or also in the Eastern conception of the universe that it is not, you know, the Christian mode of thinking about the Judeo-Christian mode of thinking about the universe is it starts here and it ends here, the alpha and the omega. Right. Yeah. Zoot. I don't know why I said zoot. Zoot suit? Zoot suit. But the Eastern and also the more kind of pagany way of thinking about the world is that it is cyclical. Mm-hmm. It starts and ends with that breath. And I love that he returns us to that breath at the end. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. What great delivery here. It's not delivery. It's DiGiorno. It's Jethro Tull. Here we are halfway, the final halfway of rock flute dreadfully exciting. We've actually got a lot going on here. We've got a couple of correspondencies. And then, of course, as usual, our final episode of each album has us going over reviews of that album. So to begin with, let's jump into the first of two emails. Omen, please read this email. 
Nick, I shall. We have a wonderful email message here from Folky Phil. Folky Phil writes back in. Hello, Folky Phil. Thank you so much for writing in. He writes in. Hi, Nick and Omen. Where is he from? He's England. Oh, yeah. Hi, Nick and Omen. Thank you so much for explaining the mythological and lyrical background to The Perfect One. I think that without notes, this song, and most of rock flute, is lyrically impenetrable. I'm undecided whether that makes it a work of genius or incredibly daft. I suspect it's a bit of both. The final verse stuck out to me. This is from The Perfect One. Yep. A dark, sad commonality, all hero worship, bit of rough, frail bond to stretch to breaking point, a point distilled from stronger stuff. I wondered if the phrase, bit of rough, is widely used or understood in the States. You kind of passed over it without comment. Definitely not, yeah. It is definitely not used in the States, and I actually thought it was bitter froth. That's right, yeah. It's a velvet monogram. Yeah. He says, it's based in the good old British class system. Maybe it's not well known. It's now a rather old-fashioned and decidedly unwoke concept of the sexual attraction to someone who is from a lower social group, typically to someone who is fit but thick, or a dumb hunk. It was usually said of an older, posher woman who had an affair with a rough, violent younger man whose appeal was found between his legs rather than between his ears. Well, certainly that concept is one that exists in the States, but not quite in the same way. Yeah, no, I think the most is like a cougar. I think that's the the phrase to use in the States. Right. Or, you know, there's something maybe parallel, which has to do more with our racial class system here in the States. Yes. That we could make a comparison to, but that would be getting into very sticky waters. And I've just washed those waters. (laughs) They're out to dry right now. Fogeyfield goes on. Also, the term stronger stuff is Anderson slang. Anderslang for drink and possibly drugs. Love, love, love that portmanteau. Thank you very much. Anderslang, oh yeah, it's very Lewis Carroll, and we're going to steal it immediately. Mm-hmm. As in the song In the Grip of Stronger Stuff from his solo album, Divinity's 12 Dances with Gods. Mm-hmm. So, my guess is that the verse suggests that it's a tale as old as time, sad commonality, that unlikely ill-fated couplings will form between the brainy and the beautiful, the talented and the totty, and that the frail bond of sexual attraction will reach its often deadly breaking point due to the influence of the dreaded booze. All the best, Folky Phil. Folky Phil, thank you so much particularly for the breakdown of that Britishism, bit of rough. That is something that I that we did not have perspective on. But as soon as you have explained it, it totally makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And I think bit of rough can really be applied to any illicit substance, not necessarily just alcohol, like in the sense of Joe Exotic and Travis Maldonado. There was a lot of illicit substances going on around there. You're thinking stronger stuff if you said bit of rough. Oh, did I? Yes. Yes. Stronger stuff. Correct. Thank you. So that was from Folky Phil. Thank you again, Folky Phil. Great breakdown. Greatly appreciated. That was from the episode that dropped today. Indeed. Very on top of things here. And I have one from, I believe this gentleman has written in. This is from Steiner. Steiner. 
what does Steiner have to say? Hi, San Moms. Still enjoying the living hell out of your podcast. And he wrote oh, hell with only one, one L. One L. Hilarious. See what I did there? In your Wolf Unchained episode, Nick talked about how excited he was to hear Fat Man in the movie Boogie Nights and Teacher in Almost Famous. Mm -hmm. There are quite a few instances of Tall's music being used on the silver screen, the most prominent probably being the use of locomotive breath in Fargo season two. Oh. Other examples are Lars von Trier's Breaking the Waves, Cross Mary and Michael Morris Fahrenheit 9/11 Aqualung. Sure. Tall have also been a part of the soundtrack in a couple of Family Guy and Simpsons episodes. Wow. My Google searches reveal that Tull's music has been played in 50 plus movies and TV dramas over the years. Wow. And it seems you guys are getting more and more into music terminology and time signatures when you're analyzing the songs. Being a bit of a prog nerd myself, let me try and blow your mind with another fun fact. Uh oh. If I remember correctly, you guys had a hard time wrapping your head around the time signature, parentheticals, signatures, mm -hmm. in Protect and Survive. Well, I would argue that the whole thing is in 4 4. <laughs> with the exception of the last beat of the instrumental part that comes right before the verses, which is in 3-4. One can easily be fooled by syncopated choppy rhythm, but if you concentrate yes. really hard while keeping a steady finger count, you'll reach the same conclusion. I must admit, it took me years before I had this epiphany. Huh. Such a clever fox, that Ian. Keep up the godly work, or as we say in Norway, Heil och seil visis i valhall de blodet skal sprut og mjodet flight. Until next time, <laughs> Steiner. <laughs> Steiner, tusen tak for writing in. That means a thousand thank yous in Norwegian. Good thing you told him, otherwise it would have been very confusing. <laughs> I, was, <laughs> I was telling <laughs> Thank you so much for, for writing in, you know, and... I feel like we're in the stage of our musical exploration of Tall where we are, what's the old phrase? We know just enough to be dangerous, where we don't really actually know that much, but we can kind of start sensing some things. Yeah. And we do need to be careful of not conflating time signatures with rhythms, because as you pointed out, you can have very complex rhythms that all fall into a 4-4 four, four time signature. Right. Yeah. So that's great. Thank you so much for writing in, Steiner. Until the next time, we hope that you are enjoying your... 20-hour days of summer. <laughs> I don't know why I said that in a, in a German accent. German accent, like, yeah. It's very difficult to do Norwegian accent. <laughs> okay, let's round out this halfway with... Let's do just one review, Omen. You gandered a couple, and a lot of them were eight-plus pages. What's the, the gist of the reviews that have come forth for the 2023 release, Rock Flute. Yeah, they are really positive. A couple of them call it the best album since, and then go back quite a way. Is there a consensus on like what the since album was, or is it really different every every step of the way? A number of people seem to muse that it is the best tall album since the late 80s, which... To be fair, there haven't been a lot of Tull albums since the late 80s. Yeah. Official Tull albums, but still, I think that the gist of it is it's being very well received. So this is an interesting review here. This is from the website Recording Academy Grammy Awards. And Scott Hammond Parrish, interesting name, seems to write, Ian Anderson of Jethro Tull's themes and inspirations from Rock Flute Backward. 
Jethro Tull's new album, Rock Flute, is deeply influenced by old Norse paganism, and as per Ian's bank of lyrical concepts, it only scratches the surface. Ian Anderson was finishing up an interview about the first Jethro Tull album in almost two years, 2022's The Zealot Gene, when he offered Grammy.com some tantalizing news. The next one would arrive sooner rather than later. At nine o'clock on the 1st of January, I will open my mind and heart to the visiting muse, Ian said two weeks before the end of 2021. Should she decide to visit, hopefully by 10 o'clock, I'll have the beginnings of some kind of flicker of an idea. Where might Ian Anderson, a voracious reader with a sweeping purview and learned, gentlemanly air, go from there? Fast forward to today, and we have the result, Rock Flute, which arrived April 21st and is based on the characters and roles of some of the principal gods of the Old Norse paganism. We only need a, a couple of sound bites if it's nothing terribly groundbreaking, nothing beyond what we have said. Let me just look at this other review to see if there's anything worth talking about. It probably isn't. Well, and I've accidentally X'd out of the tab, so that's fine. <laughs> so, Nick, I think it's safe to say that most of the reviewers tend to view it favorably, but also a lot of the reviewers tend to have been using Rock Flute as an excuse to talk about the entire history of Jethro Tull, which, they're late to the party. We've been doing that for years. You would think they would have done that for Zealot Gene, since that was the big stretch of time, you know? And I'm sure there was some of that, but I think what... I think in my personal review of this album, and what I would like to say, is that the challenge of writing to a poetic text that already exists and expanding that, and also Ian has said, has described himself as, as a descriptive writer rather than a storyteller. Mm. It's been interesting seeing how he tackles what is essentially a poetic story. And that's where I think we've noticed lyrically a little bit of like, not conflict, but a little bit of like, oh, this is a little bit different. But I think that rhythmically and sonically, it's created more opportunities for Tall to do something that is musically more exciting than, than maybe they've done in some time. I like the album. 10 out of five stars. Perfect. Love it. It's in 10 five time. I think that, I don't know, I think Ian's being a bit, I don't think naive is the right answer, but a bit, a bit humble in saying that he's not He's not a storyteller, that he he does it descriptively. I think he is a storyteller based on the last 30 goddamn albums he's made. And the second he's forced to think that he's a storyteller or, oh, or work like a storyteller, <laughs> he, it trips him up. He says, I'm not that. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's like a reverse Dumbo's feather, I think, almost. Dumbo's lead shoes. D Dumbo's barbell, yeah. <laughs> I do think that he ha that Ian has a tendency to write in imagery rather than Oh, in sure, yeah. And then he took him by the hand and smashed him in the face. He ran out of there yeah. with a fire on his butt. It's more like, grippy glove, sawdust on the floor, open door, angels through the back. But in describing those images, he's still telling one hell of a tale. He's telling- Absolutely. He's telling a better tale than most people tell because the one of the first things they tell you about writing is show, don't tell. Yes, exactly. So I think he is somebody who doesn't like to be defined. Yes. Scotsman, storyteller, farmer. I'm not of those. None. I'm a space salmon. <laughs> <laughs> Here we are, Omen Sade. The second half 
of this song to round out the album, we are on the fairly few and far between lyrics here. I mean, three verses of Icelandic or Nordic or or Viking or whatever you want to call it. Old Norse, I believe. Old Norse. And then two, two Ian verses. It's a, a bit of a difference here that we've got three, three Old Norse and then two Ian. It feels very respectful to the source material. Mm. I have thought in my career, quote unquote, about adaptation and what is the good way to approach material that already exists. Mm -hmm. And it's complex, you know, and it's easy to do it in a way that feels wrong or icky. I love that Ian has ended, has given us this last song where he has weighted the original text a little heavier than his own interpretation of it. It feels very respectable. It feels very, very cool. But th these, the opener and closer, the two Uner Birna tracks, it's not his interpretation. Those are the translations. Absolutely. Of what is being said. It's odd that it's not three verses. That's what I'm getting at is... Did he leave something out? Did he truncate it somehow? Or is it the straight up interpretation there, or the straight up translation rather? According to the Ithval page on Wikipedia, they don't line up quite the same way. Yeah. It's not quite verbatim from what I can see. Well, and Ian, I think he says in the in one of the accompanying releases with the album where he kind of he talks about it. Inevitably, with read or spoken poetry versus sung rock lyrics, there are occasions where the lyrics were altered by a syllable or two, so the stanza meters in their final sung form may not strictly obey the mysterious rules of poetic convention. Okay. You know, I think that maybe with his translation, he compressed stuff. Maybe he didn't translate all of it. It seems like, you know, it's open to his interpretation. Oh, sure, of course. But it is interesting. It is interesting that it doesn't quite match up. But ultimately, I think it really does tie in better to what you were talking about with the delivery of that. Yeah. He would have died if he added one more verse for him <laughs> to sing without breathing at all. Right, right. Maybe it's that. Yeah. But also, you know, it, it speaks to the fluid nature of language itself. Hmm. Yeah, of course. Yeah. We talked a little bit about how, or you talked at some point about how often in the Poetic Eda, there is a were you talking about this or was my brother talking about this? I wouldn't be surprised if it were your brother. That the first line is often what happens. And then the second line is often kind of an, a description of that thing. And then the mm. next line is the thing that happened. And then the line after that is a little bit of a description of that. So, right. There was your brother. That was definitely not me. Yeah. This was a conversation about the Poetic Gita. So the format of it is along the lines of he raised his sword dripping with the blood of his enemies, mm. and plunged it into the wolf, who cried a full of fury and fur. You know, mm -hmm. you could just take the first lines of it. Right. But that gives a sense of, of call and response. You could do that as speaker and chorus, or you mm. could do it as speaker having two roles. This is what happened, and now I'm going to paint the picture a little bit more. And back to the yeah. action, and now let's zoom up close. That's Long cool. shot, close shot, long shot, close up. Maybe he cut some of it out, for, you know, maybe he didn't use all the verses because they were repetitive in Icelandic, and it makes more sense to combine them in English. Yeah. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. That's very cool. But let's talk about what he wrote. Now do I see the earth anew, rise all green from the waves again. Now do I see the earth anew, rise all green from the waves again. These whole two verses, very hopeful, 
very like you're seeing a rebirth. You're seeing a, a change of of after all of that dark and heavy and Loki screwing everybody over and Fenris eating the moon and, and all that, all the thing that will ultimately culminate in Ragnarok, you know, it just, it just keeps going downhill and avalanching. You're seeing the flower growing out of the snow at this point. Yeah. There's hope here. It's like when Wally finds that little sprout. That's it. I have been very disheartened by the news lately. Hmm and the environmental disasters that are ravaging us all, the wars that are going on. I mean, it's very easy to look at the news and get quite depressed. Yeah. And to feel like, well, we're on a downward trajectory and we're heading toward Ragnarok and it's going to be a slow, painful thing. Yeah. And so to see this, someone saying, now do I see the earth anew rise all green from the waves again, the cataracts fall and the eagle flies and catches fish beneath the cliffs. <sighs> oh my gosh. I'm going to shit on your sunshine real quick here and say that this happens after oh, Ragnarok. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. And nobody survives Ragnarok except for like a couple of gods. Right. Well, it's it's the two, it's the two, I forget their names, but it's two humans. Oh, do they? I think it's it's two oh, humanoids. Okay. Maybe they're gods. I know a couple of gods do. One of Odin's sons does and like one or two other people. The version that I read is a man and a woman who step out of the charred trunk of Yagrasil. Ooh. Yeah. And then are they the, do they give birth to the gods again? Like, is that the rebirth? I don't know. I don't know either. But, you know, even this imagery sort of makes me feel, well, even if I don't live to see it, knowing that the yeah. earth will be reborn. And that actually reminds me of something that George Carlin used to say when he was not dead. He said, you know, people talk about global warming, people talk about pollution, people talk about environmental disasters. The earth is going to be fine. The earth is going to be fine. Humans yeah. may not survive, but the earth will be totally fine. Besides, there is nothing wrong with the planet. Nothing wrong with the planet. The planet is fine. The people are f***ed. What a sage, that man. A dirty sage. Dirty, dirty sage. The next verse has... The title of the song in it, The gods in Ithval meet together in wondrous beauty once again. Shall golden tables stand mid the grass which the gods had owned in the days of old? The gods in Ithval meet together in wondrous beauty once again. Shall golden tables stand mid the grass which the gods have owned in the days of old? So Ithval, the word Ithval only shows up twice in the Voluspa. Wow. That's it. The first poem in the Poetic Eda. And it's it's a meeting place of the gods. They don't know etymologically what it is. They don't really know anything about it. It's just one of those, well, maybe if we find another text that has this in here, we can put the pieces together. But I mean, they haven't found any Viking texts in plenty of time. So, I mean, don't hold your breath. Ah. <sighs> uh. We forgot to read the little bit of the Ian blurb before the start of this, the lyrics here. Blurb us up. So he says, Rebirth of the world after Ragnarok, the Armageddon of Norse mythology. Ithaval is the plain of splendor where the surviving gods gather and reminisce and reflect. Hmm. And Unir is reading stanzas 59 and 60 from the Poetic Eda. Which I guess, even though they're broken up as three, that makes sense that Ian's is only two. Yeah. If she's only reading 59 and 60, yeah. Yeah. Oh, interesting. So very yeah. mysterious, potentially hopeful. 
I love that he uses the word cataract. That seems to me a very sort of a, a Scottish word. The cataracts fall and the eagle flies. The cataracts fall and the eagle flies and catches fish beneath the cliffs. Yeah, it just means waterfall. Oh, really? Yeah, the cataract. What's the cataract in an eyeball then? It's a waterfall in your eye. Oh, is that what it is? Of sightlessness. Oh, okay. I don't know why they also use the word cataract for the eyeball thing, but cataract means like a, a waterfall that comes off the cliff. Hmm. It's like calling a cavity a carry. Have you ever hear, hear a dentist refer to it as a carry? I know. Yeah, weird. But a cavity is also a geological feature, a hid in a cavity in the rock. Well, yeah, that makes sense. Under the cataract. I sat on a kidney stone. Anything else? I saw a wonderful bouquet of diabetes. (laughs) When I first listened to this album, Nick. Yes. I felt it was a bit disjointed. Oh, agreed. Hardly agreed, yeah. On further listening to it, and having talked with you about it, having spoken with our community about it, having reflected, I see now how it all fits together. And I love it. Yeah. I think it works so well, and I love the cyclical nature of it. I love the journey it takes us on. I love the resting points in it. I love the danger and the and the frightness the frightness of it <laughs> it affrights me and i think it's really just such a joy and a gift that we have this album to listen to in our lives agreed yeah just today on the perfect one youtube episode germashnot and i were were talking about how it did take a little time to figure out what the heck was going on with this album Yeah, But once you really get into it and recognize the cohesiveness of it, it really is rewarding to listen to. You know, it's just like every other tall album. It takes 30 listens. And then you also have to break down every single one of the songs. And then, by golly, it's good. And Ian is such a, I think one of the reviewers described her as a well-read, gentlemanly scholar with a deep mind or something like this. He hasn't given you... I want to rock and roll all night. He's given you something really complex and deep. If you rock and roll all night, what do you do every day, though? You have options. Is it take a nap? You could. Okay. If that's how you want to party. Oh, but ultimately it's a party, isn't it? It's ultimately a party. Okay. Party every day. Okay. Yeah. I hate Kiss, for the record. (laughs) They're terrible. They're terrible. Yeah. Good gosh darn album. That is the end of this album. So, Omen. Yeah. What the hey are we talking about next week? Actually, we made the announcement on the track that dropped today, but let's remind everybody because that was one, two, three. That was over a month ago. What are we talking next? Next week, Nick, we will dive. We left off a certain point in the 80s. We will now go back. Back past that point, into the past. Back to the future. No, future, back, back, future to the past. In the future, we'll go to the past. (laughs) 
We'll go all the way around and we will talk about some of the new bonus tracks that have come off of the Steve Wilson remaster of Broadsword and the Beast. That's right. JDA has come to help us again and he has provided us with those tracks. Like a Valkyrie coming down to give us succor on the battlefield of podcasting. We have them ahead of time. We have them gosh, at least a month before the, the drop. So we will be ready to have those tracks out when they are good. How many are there? There will be... Seven. I think it's six. Six or seven. Starting on 9-19, we'll have Roland's Entry slash The Swirling Pit, then Califel slash Return to Califel, Inverness Sleeper, Me Dinosaur, Honest Girl, then DJ Dream. Me dinosaur. Me dinosaur. What did you ride here? How did you get to the grocery store? Me dinosaur. <laughs> Until next week, I am the Munu Epnir to your Undrasgemlar, Omen Thomas said. I am the cataract that falls, Nick McGill. We are the golden table standing in the grass, the feckless momes. And this is the fish beneath the cliffs. Talk tall to me. Oh, great Volva! What shall be the sign of the end of days? Mm, I see three signs that tell us about Ragnarok. The first sign is the wolf swallowing the moon. Oh, swallow, write that down, Philip. Oh, what will be the second sign of the end of days, oh great and mighty blonde Velva? I mean, Volva. <laughs> the second sign will be when the serpent strikes down the lightning. Oh, the serpent of the light. Write that down. Draw a little picture, Philip. Oh, I'm running out of ink. And finally, finally, great wise Velvita, tell us what is the final sign of Ragnarok? We must know. The final sign is when all noise ceases and through Ooh. the clouds comes oh. the declaration talk told to me is a proud member of a feckless mom's audio network 